0: Thanks, worship team. Well, hello. It's good to see you. I've been away on vacation, and it's really good to be back. Um, For those of you who might not know me, my name is Alex, and I serve as lead pastor here at Courtright. So today we're continuing our summer series on seeking God's wisdom through intentional relationships. And we're going to be reading the book of Philemon, the whole book of Philemon. But don't worry, it's only 25 verses. Before we do that though, it helps if you know some of the backstory to Philemon. So we have three main characters that are in kind of a triangular relationship and that forms the basis for this letter that we call the book of Philemon. So the apostle Paul is the author of the letter He wrote from Rome where he was under house arrest, so he identifies himself as a prisoner twice in the letter. He actually says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus, um, which would take some explaining, but basically it means that he's accepting that his circumstances are somehow God's will for him, and um, he receives that as a gift even. So he's writing to a friend of his, a guy named Philemon, after whom the book is named. And Philemon lived in the city of Colossae, and Paul had planted a church in the city of Colossae, and that was when he got to know Philemon. Philemon was a rich guy. He was wealthy, and he owned slaves, and he had come to faith in Christ through his relationship with the apostle Paul. Onesimus, for his part, was a slave who had run away from his master, and his master had been Philemon. Onesimus had also become a Christian thanks to the ministry of Paul, and they became friends as well. So the big question that hangs over this letter, if if you uh, have this backstory, is what will Philemon do with this runaway slave of his, Onesimus? because as we're going to see Paul is encouraging Philemon to receive Onesimus. Onesimus is coming home. So let's pray before we dive into the scripture reading. Holy Spirit, would you come among us today and wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves right now in our lives, whether we're in a place of contentment, have really enjoyed the summer, feeling quite peaceful, or whether we're coming from just chaos in our lives, um, from suffering, from numerous challenges. Wherever it is that we find ourselves this morning, Holy Spirit, would you speak your words of encouragement, your words even of eternal life to our hearts and our minds? Would you reassure us? Would you draw us... um, deeper into a vision of who you are, Lord Jesus, that we would be captivated by your beauty and your truth. Amen. So Philemon only has one chapter, and we're gonna read the whole thing. Paul, it begins, he begins, and this is how ancient letters began, with the author identifying him or herself. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, so Paul's writing on behalf of both of them, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing, every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. And there's a little footnote there. That doesn't show up on the screen, but if you've got a Bible open in front of you, another good reason to bring an actual Bible, physical Bible with you, it will tell you that the word Anesimus, the name Anesimus in Greek means useful. I appeal to you for my son Anesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, here Paul's playing with words, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I remember that it was a beautiful fall day some years ago now, and I'd invited Judith, at the time my girlfriend, to go for a walk in the beaches in Toronto with me. We got off the Queen East streetcar, and I started talking about our relationship as we headed down to the boardwalk. You know those talks, you might remember them. I had a plan for this conversation. I was going to tell her how good we were together and how much I loved her. But I also wanted to let her know that I wasn't ready for marriage. It all went wrong somehow. By the end of our walk, Judith wrongly thought that I was breaking up with her A few days later, I went out to the Madison Avenue pub with my friend, Jim O'Brien. I was upset and confused by what had happened. I knew what Jim thought I should do. Jim was my friend, but he was also a mentor to me. He'd said to me before that I should definitely marry Judith. Now, Jim's about six years older than me, And he walked with me before and after my conversion to Christian faith at the age of 24. But that night, he didn't pull rank on me, as it were. He didn't lecture me. He simply asked me some questions What do you love about her? When do you think you'll be ready? How will you know? And that last question how will you know? kind of took my breath away. I realized I already knew. I was scared, but I already knew. My friend Jim persuaded me. He didn't make an argument. It was more like he helped clear away the debris that was cluttering up my mind. The next weekend, during a retreat for young adults I was leading at Pioneer Camp, I asked Judith to marry me. She said, she said, yes. (laughs) And you know, I've never forgotten the role that Jim played in that. He helped me get from one weekend of foolish indecision to the next weekend of commitment and embrace. The Apostle Paul was a friend like that also. He wrote this letter to help Philemon grasp God's wisdom. And to dispel any confusion that Philemon might have been feeling, experiencing about who he was in Christ. Now, this might be a Paul you don't quickly recognize. At first, it doesn't seem to be his usual substantial theology here, the way he always brings us back to the death and resurrection of Jesus. No, this letter we call Philemon. Doesn't feature Paul's trademark sentences. You know, the really long ones that are so dense and rich and packed with the gospel that you have to read them six, seven times before your head stops spinning. This letter is the shortest of all of Paul's writings contained in the Bible. You could easily miss it, I think, if you leafed through the 27 books of the New Testament quickly. There are only 335 words in the original Greek, but They are words that reveal who Paul was personally more than perhaps any of his better-known letters. This letter teaches us about Christian community. It teaches us how Christians can handle conflict. And it guides our attitude, the attitude of Christians at that time towards the burning social issue of their day which was slavery. Philemon shows us how the gospel changes us on at least three levels. First of all, in our friendships. Secondly, in community, in our households, in our church. And third, how the gospel changes the world around us as the good news about Jesus enters the culture. So the story here revolves around what happened between Philemon, this wealthy slave owner and church leader, and his slave, Onesimus, a new Christian. Slavery at the time was incredibly common in the Roman Empire. In fact, half of its population consisted of slaves, and its entire economy depended on slave labor. Roman society was a strict hierarchy in which slaves were clearly at the bottom. Roman citizens were at the top and they would often have been slave owners. Slaves were considered to be property, valuable property, but property nonetheless. Some were treated well, others were severely mistreated. There was no concept of universal human rights at the time. A slave owner could do whatever he wanted with his property, and if he was dealing with a runaway slave, the punishment was normally brutal. Ananias had run away, and so he was facing a death sentence. Judging from verse 18, he may also have stolen from Philemon, which made his crime even worse. But Amnesimus had changed. At some point in his fugitive wanderings, he had met Paul, and through Paul, he had encountered the risen Christ, and in the process, he became a new person. And his relationship with Paul grew as well to the point where he became like a son to the apostle. And so we see evidence the depth of Onesimus' conversion in his willingness to return to his master and face judgment. There was a debt that needed to be paid. So this letter comes out of a friendship. And that's the first point. Christian friendship changes us. It paves the way to forgiveness and reconciliation as we act in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Paul calls Philemon a dear friend and a fellow worker. But there's more. Philemon first heard about Jesus from Paul and he came to faith in Christ through their relationship. As verse 19 puts it, he owed Paul his very self, his life, his new life in Jesus. So it turns out, that the master himself had a master, right? Philemon had all this worldly power, but Paul, as his mentor and spiritual father, had authority over him. So the master had a master. A prisoner had authority over a slave owner. The rich man, at a deeper level, was actually poor. The order of things is completely upset. Paul says to Philemon, This is what happens when Jesus comes into your life. You're a different person now. You are new in Christ. And it isn't just a spiritual thing. It's not just in your heart between you and God. Rather, it's going to affect your whole life and how you relate to everyone. As his friend and mentor, Paul wanted to influence Philemon and help him grasp every good thing he had in Christ. Would you say that you try to influence people? And if you do, and I think all of us probably do, even though we're not constantly aware of it, how do you do that? How do you try to influence other people? One of the earliest, most successful self-help books was Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. It was first published in 1936, it has sold 20 million copies, and you can understand why. Even the title is intriguing. Who wouldn't want to have more friends and be able to influence people? The book claims that it will enable you to make friends quickly and easily, increase your popularity, help you win people over to your way of thinking, increase your influence, prestige, your ability to get things done, and your wealth. Maybe you want to run out and buy it. Warren Buffett, one of the world's most successful investors, swears by the book. But then again, so did the murderer Charles Manson. So you can use your influence, however you go about getting it. You can use your influence with people for their good or to take advantage of them, even to destroy them. My friend Jim influenced me to make the right decision. And Paul does that for Philemon here in this letter with much more at stake. In Hebrews 10, it says, let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. In the Christian life, friendship is different. The way we influence one another through our relationships can't be focused on getting things for ourselves. No, Jesus calls us to love God and to love our neighbor, not to pursue our own self interest first. So, God's kind of love isn't easy, but it's where we find our true purpose. It's where God meets us and changes us and blesses us. Do you have friends right now who are spurring you on in your relationship with God? as the wording itself implies, being spurred on isn't necessarily fun, right? That's what you do a horse with those pointy boots. I'm not much of a cowboy. <laughs> spurred, spurred, spurred boots? Any, anybody know what they're called? Boots with spurs? Boots with spurs. Okay, let's go with that. So it's not fun when somebody... A friend of yours kicks you with their pointy boot. But we all need that. Like Paul in this letter, a good friend begins with greetings and thanksgiving and encouragement, but they don't stop there. They appeal to us on the basis of love when we need it. They forgive us and help us to forgive others. They pray for us. They remind us of God's calling, of who He is, and they point us to Jesus. That's what sharing faith is all about. How are you going to practice that kind of friendship this week? Who are you in relationship with right now where you're being intentional that way? Where before you have coffee with them, before you email or text them, before you call them, you take a breath and say, I want to be conscious of where they're at. I want to listen well, and I want to speak your encouragement, Lord, into their life. Who has God put in your path that way? Our friends also influence our connection to wider community. You ever notice that when you spend time with a friend you talk about other people a fair bit? Sometimes we complain about them. We criticize and we judge. But Paul is a better friend than that. Paul does the opposite of that here. He urges Philemon to forgive. He recognizes the claim that Philemon has on Onesimus his runaway slave. In Roman law, as the pater familias, which means father of the family or head of the household, Philemon had the authority to act alone and do whatever he wanted with Onesimus. But Paul points to a different way. From the beginning of his letter, Paul addresses himself not just to Philemon, but also to the entire Christian community that was meeting in Philemon's house. And so he sets this drama and how it will play out Within the life of the church, he implies that any decision about ansimist needs to be worked out in community, rather than simply by one powerful individual. How's that for accountability? Imagine how many church failures could be avoided if we practice that more with more determination. It's hard for us to relate to the church taking an active role like that in a private matter, especially a financial one, right? We live in a hyper-individualistic world. The first thing that comes to mind when someone asks us a question that's too personal is that's none of your business. But Paul makes it pretty clear here and in other writings of his that everything we do is God's business. And a primary way that God draws us into this every good thing Paul wants for us is through real community. And don't get me wrong, when I say community, I don't mean something warm and fuzzy necessarily. True community is hard work. It takes commitment. And there will be conflict if it's real community. Conflict like we see here in Philemon. But but it's in that kind of community that God really meets us. In verse 6, Paul uses the word koinonia for it. That word partnership in the Greek is koinonia, which is translated as participation, sharing, communion, or partnership. As we step into the relationships we have with other believers, we're led into a deeper experience of all the good things we have in Christ. Paul goes on in that early part of his letter, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Refreshment, joy, that's where God intends for it to lead. And it's meant to go deep as well. I love the way the King James Version puts this verse. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother." Have you ever wondered why we need modern translations? There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the bowels of the saints. It's kind of funny, but actually, the King James Version is helpful, because Paul is saying, and that translation really drives it home, that the love we share goes deep. It's meant to. It's visceral. Do you know this word? The viscera are your internal organs. And yes, they include your intestines. We talk about feeling something viscerally, and we mean, we mean that we're feeling it deeply. And so we have a choice in our relationship with God and his church. We can go through life and we can stay shallow. We can keep our distance and have merely superficial relationships. But Paul says if you really want to live, if you really want to have this every good thing, then love deeply. And we experience that in different ways, in different places, but perhaps most of all in small groups. House churches like the one that met in Philemon's home. Now it takes time and there's a risk involved in joining a small group and remaining with a small group, but when we meet week by week as a group in someone's home to talk about our lives, to read and reflect on God's word, to pray and to encourage each other, we are sharing our faith so that we can have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. And that's a promise that God makes to us, that as we engage with his body, the body of Christ, the church, we more and more will experience that every good thing. Now, if you're not in a small group right now, maybe, maybe you have been in the past, maybe you've never been part of a small group, I would encourage you, to consider that for this September. Now, Allison, our Director of Discipleship, will be back in just over a week, and you could talk to her, you could talk to me or Justin. We'd love to map out the options for you, just explain how that works. But Paul wants to take this conversation about community and relationships beyond his friendship with Philemon too even beyond Philemon's household and church community. The gospel is good news for the whole world and it inevitably affects the culture around us. And Paul uses humor to make his point in verse 10. Anesimus was a common Greek name which meant useful or beneficial. So obviously Anesimus wasn't living up to his name when he ran away from Philemon because he became useless at that point. But now that he's returning, he'll be useful once again. Okay, maybe it's not laugh-out-loud funny, but trust me, it's a joke, and it would have brought a smile to Philemon's face. But Paul picks up on this later by saying something much more radical. He explains that Onesimus is returning no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Paul teaches this elsewhere in Galatians and Colossians. He says, "...among Christians there is neither Jew nor Greek." slave nor free, male nor female, but we are all one in Christ. And his letter to Philemon shows us how to put that into practice. The labels that we are given, that society pins on us, are washed away symbolically at our baptism. And we come up from the water of baptism to receive the freedom of new life in Christ. We're no longer a rich person or a poor person, a liberal or a conservative, From the city, from the country, a young person, an old person. In fact, this goes so far that we're neither black nor white anymore, male nor female. But we are in Christ, first of all. Over recent years, it's been incredibly sad for me to see how the church has failed to live up to this calling. You can maybe imagine how Philemon might have taken this letter, right? He was a rich man and he believed in order and the rule of law. Clearly a conservative. Why should he treat anesimus as a brother? He probably didn't like what he was hearing, even from his mentor. He could have dismissed Paul as a dangerous liberal, rejected his advice and ended their relationship. We see that going on all over the place these days. The issue for us is no longer slavery, but we disagree on so many other things. And we're deeply polarized. Conservatives end up in conservative churches where truth, capital T, truth, is the focus. And liberals end up in liberal churches where it's all about grace. As your pastor, it is my daily prayer that the Holy Spirit would give us wisdom at court right so we can be faithful to both grace and truth and that he would spur us on more and more into the deeper togetherness that comes when we disagree and practice discernment through it. And I think Paul models that for us here. He doesn't take a hard line. He's in this for the long haul with Philemon. He asks Philemon to prepare a room for him. He's coming to visit. So are we prepared to do likewise? Are we prepared to continue in relationship with each other when there's tension and conflict between us? Are we willing to lay down our agendas and to seek the peace and unity of the church for the sake of Jesus? When your identity is really in Christ and not in anything else, including whether you're liberal or conservative, when you're truly in Christ, you can let go of your fear and insecurity the need you have to be right, the need to impress others, the pursuit of success for the wrong reasons. We're no longer useful for what we can do or for what we've accomplished, but rather for who we are. Paul models God's generosity and grace in this letter when he offers to pay the debt that Onesimus has incurred. At the same time, he points to a deeper debt, which even Philemon owed and from which he was only released by the greatest act of liberation in history, the death of Jesus at the cross. And so, in relation to God, we're all on the same level. We're all lost. We're all runaways. None of us is excluded from that. But Jesus took our place and returned home to make good on the debt. And now we believe that he waits for us with open arms, and we just need to admit that we need him to confess our sin as we do together Sunday mornings every week, and I trust as we do on a daily basis. He welcomes us home. He sets us free with a true and deeper liberty. So this is radical freedom, and it confronts the culture around us. Onesimus is in serious trouble here. It's easy to forget that. Philemon, for his part, is also about to take a great risk, or I hope he was about to. Paul respects Roman law throughout this letter. He sends Onesimus back to Philemon. He acknowledges the wrong that Onesimus did and the master's right to choose his slave's fate. But Paul has invoked a higher law, the way of Christ, and he writes confident of Philemon's obedience to it, knowing that he will do even more than is asked of him. So there is the hint, and it's not all that subtle, as I read it, that Philemon should free Anesimus. The gospel always confronts the culture around us with a message of freedom that not only changes us spiritually, as individuals, but also transforms the world. In the end, Paul leaves the decision regarding Onesimus to Philemon, knowing that he had the support of the church that met in his home as well as the guidance of the Holy Spirit. There's so much more we could say arising from Philemon. The story of the Christian struggle to end slavery starts here in a way and continues today because slavery may not be the pressing issue for us that it was back then, but it remains alarmingly widespread in our world. By some counts, there are over 20 million slaves today in 2022. Earlier, we sang a version of John Newton's famous hymn, Amazing Grace. John Newton was a slave trader until he experienced a conversion to Christ and then went on to play a key role discipling and mentoring William Wilberforce, the English politician who led the the fight to abolish the slave trade. As a Christian... Publicly, he led that fight and accomplished his goal in 1807. But there's still justice that we're called to fight for as believers. As we've seen, all of this starts with friendship. God extends his grace and friendship to us in Christ, who says, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I have called you friends. And as we get to know Jesus as we respond to His call, we start to practice this intentional friendship that points to Christ and leads us into the shared community of His people, where we receive every good thing that God has in store for us. And so we say, "Come, Lord Jesus, give us, give us more of that at courtright, as individuals, and may we be faithful witnesses." in the world. Amen. It's my pleasure um, to make a quick announcement. Uh, Now the sermon's over. Uh, Tanya Wright, who is the convener of HR and a member of Session, our Council of Elders, is on vacation, so I'm I'm stepping into this role. Um, Session decided recently that we would make Justin Sitzma full-time as our Director of Worship and Outreach. You may not have known that he wasn't full-time because he seems to be everywhere. Absolutely. But he wasn't full-time. He was at 34 hours a week. So, Justin, we're delighted that uh, this happened, that you're full-time, and that you, you've been such a gift to us. And we can't imagine Courtright without you and Lindsay and Iris. So... Um, I probably should have asked Kristen to add that to the list of prayer items, but you can, you can fit that in somewhere, Kristen, right? You don't, he doesn't want to be prayed for, okay? <laughs> Scratch that. Kristen Racker is going to lead us now in the prayers of God's people.